That was extraordinary. I'm glad I came. speak briefly. I want to save a little bit of time if you have a couple of questions with the permission and the schedule. Um, and there's so many directions we can go in. I was at a Leviah today in Lakewood for a lovely, lovely person who had been sick for a number of months. It was very sad. I was sad. We're all sad. Particularly sad when his 11-year-old son got up to speak. He was hespid. But no one was angry. The place wasn't filled with angry people. We watched the horrors, we hear the stories, and people are filled with anger. What's the difference? It's the same God who decreed that one holy neshama, Moshe ben Avram, should be returned to Shemayim. It's the same God who decreed that these holy neshamas a return to Shemayim. So why are we filled with anger? What is creating that anger? And does it make sense? Is it good? Is it healthy? Is it responsible for us? <coughs> I wrote a book on anger. I'm going to save you 2195 though. Anger comes from fear. When a person is scared, we become angry. Because we'd rather be angry than fearful. So what happens is anger is the illusion of control. The problem, of course, is anger, as I'll explain, is akin to a vote it's, it's, it's idol worshiping. So if we become angry, it is the very anathema, it is a breach in our betachem. So what's fueling the anger is the fear. I think one of the biggest mistakes that we make, people make, is to try to find out everything possible and be, uh, and, and be a news junkie. And I've got them in my own family, so I get it. But it is so destructive. Rabbi Victor Miller explains that people, obviously he wrote this many, many years ago, when we look at the news, we pretend that we're being informed and this gives us the illusion that we have somehow some sort of control, that this knowledge insulates us. The more I know, the more information I acquire, the more stuff I can jam in my head, the more calm and secure I'll feel. Anyone that's looked at the news recognizes it's just the opposite. So what happens is you have a desire to learn more, to watch more, to gain more knowledge. That information makes you anxious and fearful, and the response to that is anger, and now you continue the loop. Now, for any of us that are children, may recognize that this is very, let's say reckless, maybe too strong, but it's not a good idea. Because what are you modeling for your children? When something happens that's beyond your control, you become angry. It is perfectly legitimate to be sad. It is a breach in Betachen to be mad and just leave it at that. <clears throat> if you want to galvanize that anger and become inspired 
the compassionate. Morty Stiebel was not built out of anger. It was built out of sadness. Now what happens is when we feel sad, our neshama comes to life. We, 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 we want, as the Rav said, we want to choose ruchnias over gashmias. We want to choose something with more meaning. We want to attach to reality. We feel connected. Our ego, our yitzhahor, is muted. It's no longer clamoring. You don't feel like talking, gossiping. What happens when you're driving along and you see a bad accident on the side of the road? Or you walk out of the hospital of intensive care unit? You don't feel like gossiping, schmoozing, talking, laughing, joking? Acquiring, getting, gathering? You're, the, 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 the ego, the Yetzirah is still in the neshama comes to life. It wants to connect to something larger, more meaningful. And it's a question of what we do. Where we, what we choose, where we go to. And the secret is that the more we reinforce our ruchnias, the more calm we will feel. Because understand, what's happening at a psychological level is every single decision that we make, we, there, there is an a unspoken message that reverberates through our entire being. And that is, this matters. This is a value to me. So somebody that invests in something that's meaningful is steeped in reality. Somebody who doesn't, who's living, imagine people, someone's playing a board game. You ever play a board game with those people, and you know, certainly maybe children who by definition are ego direct, but with adults, and they get so into it. You know, you want to take Park Place, and there's tears, and talking about adults. They get so, they, they think like this is the game, this, this game is life. There's a knock at the door and reminds them of reality. They get sucked into it. When we get sucked into the illusion, reality will throw us time and again. One of the most powerful ways to become less anxious is to live in the real world. To invest in what's meaningful is to wake up the neshama. As the Rub said, there's not a lot we may be able to do. But what we can do, we should do. Okay. I want to talk very briefly about just the, the psychology of understanding the difference between fear and anxiety, what we can practically do in our own lives, and then with the Rub's permission, if we have a few minutes to take some questions specifically, I know some of you had questions, but Lamai says there's a difference between fear and anxiety, and we often lump them together, but they're different, how we deal with them is different. Fear refers to a, a clear and, and imminent and immediate danger. See a bear in the woods, fear. Anxiety is something that's abstract, ephemeral, in the distance, you can't always put your finger on it. What we're feeling now is anxiety. And the protocol for dealing with fear is different from anxiety, which is why it gets people into a lot of trouble, because if you don't understand what, you, what it is, you're not going to know what the approach is. When it comes to a fear, right, it requires what we call active patalkin. You actually have to do is do something, right? You actually have to take an action. When it comes to anxiety, what happens is there's something in psychology called the focusing illusion. Basically, focusing illusion says that this. It was the... the, the term was coined by a psychologist by the name of Daniel Kahneman, nice Jewish Israeli boy. He says that nothing is, he won the Nobel Prize for this by the way, nothing is as important as you think about it, and nothing is as important as it is while you're thinking about it. Meaning, the more time and energy and attention you give to something, anything, 
the more your brain is going to say, this is something that I need to give time, energy, and attention to. And it ends up mushrooming. So, like Hazal told us thousands of years ago, what psychology has just recently learned, is that the smartest thing to do when you have these fears, when you have, or excuse me, when you have these anxieties, and you have these thoughts that pop up, these horrible images, thoughts in your head, is to responsibly divert your attention in a healthy direction. If you want to engage in a particular act, fine. If you want to think about something else, fine. The more it marinates, the more it's going to become consuming. And then, all-consuming, and that's when you have anxiety disorder. We're painting with a broad brush here. There's different types of anxieties, but the mindset is the, the quickest way out of it. We, you can drop a thought on a dime. You do it all the time. You walk into the kitchen, you can't remember what you walked in there for. So why can't you drop a thought that you don't want to think about? That makes sense. I can drop thoughts that I want to think about, but I can't drop thoughts I don't want to think about. Why? It's because when we lose perspective, and that's what happens, the ego ends up blocking perspective, long conversation, but we end up becoming myopically focused and all-consumed. And the more time and attention you give it, the harder it is to get away from it. So then, when these thoughts pop up in your head, the best thing you can possibly do is gently put your attention on something else. The optimal thing to put your attention on, by the way, is what you're grateful for. What you have a car is a toe for, what you are, because what happens is gratitude is giving. The ego, the, the, the fear is taking. So when you move from a position from taking to giving, you end up quashing the ego, the yetahar, and bringing to life the neshama, the yetahar. Meaning that you're focused on what you are grateful for, all the things that are going right. I will give you a money back guarantee. Everyone heads just pop up from their phones and you say that. Right? A money-back guarantee that if the next time, yeah, anybody, it won't happen overnight. Habits take, you've know, got neural circuitry here, this, this, but each and every time you do it, you're going to be sending a message to your brain that you are in control, it's not in control of you. Every time you have a thought you don't want to think about, gently, don't force, put your attention on something you're grateful for. Just spend 60 seconds on that. You're going to find it begins to happen automatically, naturally. We think emotions just come out of nowhere. We're just feeling in a good mood, bad mood. It doesn't happen. Our emotions come from our thoughts. Our thoughts come from our focus. What are you paying attention to? If you become absorbed and consumed by the news, by the negativity, you're going to get sucked into the craziness. Particularly for people who are very sensitive. Sensitive in the shamas are going to be more effective than the people who are like, ah, a shaman runs the world, let him do his thing. That's not a person of conscience. That's not a person that's here. Be smart. You have an obligation to protect yourself. Be informed. You already have enough information. And once again, as the Rub said, if there's what do what you can do. You don't need any more information. You're not on the front lines. You don't need intel 24-6. And certainly, with children, when they see you consumed, hunch over the phone where you won't talk to them because you need to know what's going on, you're modeling for them exactly how to deal with anxiety by trying to absorb more information to give the illusion of control rather than have genuine betachin. Okay. Much to discuss, but any questions? How about the feeling of hate? So is that, what is that? Okay, the very good question is what about the feeling of hate? Right, hate for, for somebody that did something to you is perfectly normal and natural. Hate is a cousin of anger, and you've got to ask yourself, right, 
how injurious is going to be for you? Here's the thing. Nobody ever walked away from a conversation and said, I wish I would have gotten angrier. I would have been able to handle myself so much better. Right? Anger. Who would you rather be in a fight with, by the way? Someone who's consumed by anger and rage or somebody who's calm and composed? I'd rather be with a fight with a guy who's just consumed and all over the place. He's not methodical. He's not clear. He's not conscientious. When we are consumed by hate, unfortunately, we are consumed. So if you want to take that, galvanize it, and use it as inspiration, which is the neshama, great. Simply to be absorbed in the pain, I'm not so sure that's going to be productive. Really good question. Any other questions? No. If not, then we'll wrap up. How much information should we give to our children? It's a great question. So the question is, how much information do you give to your children? A lot depends on the age of the child and their emotional maturity and their interest. Some kids, as you may have experienced, are just like, ah, you know, younger kids may be more because maybe they're more sensitive, so they're watching mommy, watching Tati, hearing on the phone, all the stuff. The first thing, and again, it depends on the age, but generally you want to find out what the child already knows, meaning you want to know what they know and what they think they know, right? This happened a lot during COVID, is that, you know, a child, you know, parents there and whomever was very quick to educate their children, the first thing you want to do is you want to clear up misconceptions. So you ask your child, what do you, they're talking about it maybe in school, talking with their friends, they overheard you on the phone. You've got to clear up misconceptions, find out what they know and what they think they know. So you ask them, what do you think is going on? What do you know is going on? And then you get a very good sense of what, what where they're holding. I think it's, yeah, I'm sorry, yeah. Oh yeah, oh yeah, well, you're asking me what's that? Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna say right now. Yeah, is that the question? No, no, What's after? No, you finished. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, fine. Very anxious to get there. Okay. <laughs> um, so once you find out where they're holding, then it's going to depend on their emotional maturity. You want to give them information always within the context. This is very important. Within the context of reality. What's the reality? Hakadosh Baruch who runs the world. That's the reality. To give them isolated. Business. Oh, Hamas is attacking. They're doing this. They're doing that. Oh, yeah. That's not the reality. The reality is Hashem runs the world. Here's what's happening from our perspective. You always have to frame it within reality. Here's what we see going on. Here's what we think. And again, you stay away from pictures, from images, from graphics, from any visualizations. Broad strokes is only that's necessary. I don't think most adults need more than that. And again, I certainly don't think children do. Did I answer the Rob's question? Okay. Yes, please. The one you just mentioned about, about the reality, how much could a person expect himself to have real betachem in such a situation? And how much is like psychological, which is like going to affect everyone? Meaning like, let's yeah. say, yeah. the very high levels of betachem that you still can speak about, right? Right, going yeah. through such a situation, right. like what's practical to expect of yourself? Okay, look. Somebody said, I mean, <coughs> speaking before, they said that, you know, they're, they're feeling very unsettled. Our entire construct of what safety is was uprooted for many people. We thought that Israel safe behind certain things. Nothing like this could happen, which is why they say, by the way, of all different traumas and tragedies, all things that can happen, natural disasters, the most unsettling to the psyche is an earthquake. Why? Because one of the things that we can count on is that the ground beneath us is solid. Right? We can get a hurricane coming, whipping up wind. We can get um, you know, a tornado. We can get these natural fire. These make sense. The ground shaking is something that's supposed to be, from a trauma perspective, one of the most unsettling. So this changed the construct for what people, how we, what we think is safe and stuff. Uh, what we, uh, our construct of what we think is safe and what's not. 
everyone certainly, as we all know, is on the line. I just finished finish a book on Batsach, and so there's, there's plenty to talk about here. But once again, in broad strokes, I would say like this. You're a human being. Cut yourself some slack. Go easy on yourself. If you're having a hard time like the rest of humanity, recognize you're a person of conscience who cares. That's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. Well, I find that we too quickly beat ourselves up. We're in a situation feeling anxious. I have more talking. So what's bad? We're going through a difficult matzah. Now we're yelling at ourselves that we're not holding at a higher level. That's not constructive. Cut yourself a little slack. This is Gehenna for the people there, and it's for Gehenna for any person of conscience. That's it to have that empathy. Empathy, by the way, is not sympathy. Empathy is your pain is my pain. Sympathy is stinks to be you. I'm going to go back to my newspaper and frosted flakes. Sympathy forces disconnection. Empathy is genuine. If you're feeling their pain, then you're a person of incredible conscience. And it's easier than, by the way, to feel a little bit unsettled. That's not a bad thing. It may be more challenging, but it's not a bad thing. So number one is cut yourself some slack. And we're all on our own level, but the, uh, whenever a person, I mentioned this is inferior anxiety, again, there's a lot to go into there, but whatever you can responsibly do, do it. Meaning, pulling the covers over your head and just wanting the goal to pass is not productive. <coughs> Obviously, you don't need to take notes on that one. It's, it's self-evident. But being responsible, doing something, as the rub said, taking something on, something, right, that says, you know what? Hashem, I know you're in the world. I want to invest in eternity and the Neshama. Reconnect with reality, with Ruchmias, not Gashmias. Say, I'm going to have more Kavana here. I'm going to do something quantifiable, something measurable. And you're doing it because you want to make an investment in reality. And that's something powerful, and that's something that's going to help you to feel more grounded. Because the more in reality you are, the more emotionally healthy you're going to feel. Okay? All right. Yes, please. What, what about guilt going about doing your normal daily stuff, you know, or just stuff that even you enjoy? You can't think about it all day long. Excellent. I told this to my kids as soon as we found out before I made Havdalah. I said like this. To feel empathy, to feel pain is powerful and important and potent, and it's, it, it, it is what defines us. To feel guilty is the eight Sahara. If you're not doing something wrong, don't take responsibility for it. That's, by the way, the difference between shame and toxic shame, and guilt and shame, and, and they, they get mixed up, and we certainly don't have time to go there. But shame is, I acted in a way that's beneath my midrega, my spiritual level, I feel less worthy as a result. That, by the way, is a good thing. Shame is a self-correcting mechanism. The rest of the world would say, don't feel ashamed. Why should I feel ashamed? Don't feel ashamed. Yeah, no. Shame says, I'm acting in a way that's disgusting. It's not me. Toxic shame is, I'm held to a burden, responsibility, or obligation, responsibility for something I didn't do, something someone does for me, something to me. I feel less, not what I've done, but what was done to me, or because I was uh, an unfair burden, responsibility, or obligation was placed on me. I was held to an unfair level of standard. Plenty of ways we can acquire toxic shame. It's not because of what I was, what I did, but was done to me. That's toxic shame. Can't erase that because it was never stained to begin with. But people walk around with plenty of it. So by the way, anyone feeling guilty for, for something you didn't do, that's toxic. It's not healthy. Take a deep breath. 
and jettison it. Let it go. Obviously, it, it, that's not therapy, but that's step number one. What about telling your kids prior, like on your terms, and having them hear from, you know, right. kids or... Right. If, if you live in a shtetl, an isolated place, community, where they're not going to find anything out, you can control what comes in and what comes out. I think with schools, camps, whatever, you know, Mon, we're in. We have a very hard time with that bubble. You need to get ahead of it. Again, it doesn't mean inundating your children with information. It means finding out what they know and making sure that they're not walking around with misconceptions because there's a good chance they already think they know something that they don't know. Okay. What's the oh. best way to deal with uh, family members that have anxiety or very into the news stuff? Uh, yes, if you're talking about your wife, you know, it's not, okay. All right, so dealing with anxiety, so here's the thing that you can't do. The question is, how, maybe we'll just end with, with this. I apologize, I can't get some questions, but um, oh, I am starting a weekly talk, which, okay, Mr. Shannon, a weekly talk, I'm going to be here talking about a bunch of topics, so we'll get to that. Um, here's what you can never do with someone who feels anxious. Never say the following, particularly to your spouse, don't worry. Calm down. When was the last time someone ever told you to calm down? You go, oh, okay. Oh, calm down. I just go, or don't worry. Okay. Uh, unless you're a dermatologist looking at a suspicious mole, don't worry is not going to make anyone feel better. It, it's it, not the thing. Understand, some people, it, it's, like drinking, uh, it's like drinking salt water, by the way. You drink salt water, you think you're quenching your thirst. So they go on the news, they go on the information. I will guarantee you this anxious person is trying to absorb as much information, have as many conversations as they can, and it's only adding to the neuroses. I would politely, gently encourage them to listen to any one of the many, many beautiful sherm that echo the sentiments of stay away from what you don't need to uh, expose yourself to and absorb into your shama, particularly if you're a sensitive soul. Okay, forgive me please, but thank you for the opportunity to share these words. Amir Tashem, we should hear only good news. So, so thank you. Sure. Okay. 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 Okay.